Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi everyone, it's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. We've been on an amazing journey celebrating the history of ingredients, but there's a layer we haven't really addressed, which is who is picking our food, which is our people, our community, nuestra gente. Today's episode is about food justice and food sovereignty. My name is Eva Longoria. And I am Maite Gomez Rejon. And welcome to Hungry, Hungry for History. History, a podcast that explores our past and present through food. On every episode, we'll talk about the history of some of our favorite dishes, ingredients, and beverages. So make yourself at home. Y buen provecho. So, you know, I produced two documentaries on farm workers. Uh, one about child labor in uh, in our American farms, because people always go like, well, there's not child labor here. And you're like, yes, Mm-mm. in the United States, there's oh a lot gosh. of child labor in agriculture. And also I produced another documentary called Food Chains, which really talks about that, the, the chain of oppression as it relates to food. And we did a documentary specifically about the uh, Immokalee tomato pickers in Florida and how they pick, I mean, all the tomatoes that go to McDonald's, Wendy's, like the biggest buyers of it, you know, supermarkets as well. But they would pick buckets and buckets for like, you know, 50 cents a bucket of tomatoes and they would go to the store and they couldn't afford the tomato that they had picked. And they couldn't understand it because they were like, I just picked a bucket, carried it on my back and I got 50 cents and there must have been a hundred tomatoes in that bucket. And yet the tomatoes, $3 in the supermarket. So there's, if you have a chance, go check out Food Chains, a documentary, amazing um, director, Sanjay. If you, if you look at who's purchasing the largest amounts, it's fast foods and supermarkets. And so we should really make corporations be more responsible in, in fair labor acts and fair labor standards. I know it's crazy. I actually, when I was researching the tomato episode, I, I rewatched your, uh, your food chains documentary and was really blown away. Just the, the levels, right? We don't think about the human cost of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was it about this particular cause? What was it about migrant farming? Like what drew you to that? What drew me to care about where our food comes from is the fact that I eat. 
<laughs> like if you eat, if you eat, you should care. Yeah. You know, during the pandemic, farm workers were declared essential workers because it was, uh, you know, we were in shutdown. People were still having to go to the grocery store. You know, we ran out of toilet paper, but I'll tell you what we didn't run out of produce. Yeah. There was still fruit and vegetables in your supermarket. And that was because farm workers were showing up every day, often without PPE, without protection, without Mm -hmm. COVID testing in those fields, working to keep our food supply going. And so we didn't need a pandemic to tell us farm workers are essential to the United States food system. They're essential every single day. And so I've had a, I've had a deep interest in where our food comes from since I was born. I mean, I grew up on a ranch in Texas and we grew everything. My dad didn't let us eat fast food. He, we had to eat off the land. And if it was squash season, we ate squash for three months. And I was like, I hate squash. And then it would come watermelon season and we'd have watermelon for three months. Like we ate seasonally, we ate what we grew. And so I knew where food came from. I knew it came from the ground. I remember I dated somebody and they didn't know a carrot came from the ground. And they were like, don't carrots come from trees? I was like, okay, we have to break up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How do you not know that? Um, And so, yeah, it was interesting um, uh, that I became an activist and advocate for farm workers in the way that I have. But but it's not surprising. I, I, I care. Right. Yeah. You care. You care. You care deeply. And, and yeah, like the whole thing about essential workers, like you said, it's like, of course they're essential. They feed us. They're, they keep us alive, literally. But there's that thing, you know, that dichotomy. There are essential workers, but they're also treated as disposable, right? Which is really like, how do you reconcile, you know, that? And this whole idea of, you know, exploitation is something that has existed since mm-hmm. colonization. Well, and also like before colonization, like farming was the earliest human occupation. Yeah. Like if it, we were farmers and gatherers, like before uh, colonization, before enslavement or the idea of enslavement and, and monetization of agriculture was even an ideology or an idea. Absolutely. I mean, farming was one of the earliest occupations. And when people went from, from being hunting gatherers to, to settling, it was farming that allowed them, you know, mm-hmm. to settle and is how civilizations first emerged. I mean, in Mm -hmm. pre-colonial Mexico, a deep respect was given to farmers, not only because of the knowledge that they had just planting and harvesting, but they knew which foods was to honor, you know, what deity, what food had to be, you know, produced for a specific ritual or festivity. Um, So that was, you know, farmers were a very important part of society because they, they didn't just feed you, but they were so connected to the cycles 
of the of the earth of the land. Well, and they were so connected, as we already know through history. If you don't live in a state where there's banned books or history's been erased from from your history classes, but we know indigenous people have always had a huge connection to the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an amount of respect to the earth. So when when colonizers came to New York and and you know, the Dutch said, how much do you want for this land? And the indigenous response was, we don't own the land. Nobody owns the land. (laughs) You know, it was like, that's true. Who says you can own the earth beneath your feet? And so I always found that fascinating. Even, you know, pre-colonial Mexico, once a year, there was a festival called Etzalcuatlitzli, which meant the day of eating cooked corn and beans, where all of the tools associated with planting and harvesting were blessed. So that I find, you know, so, so beautiful. Um, And then, of course, with the conquest, indigenous people were forced to work the lands. They brought over ingredients like sugar. And we talked about the sort of the grueling harvesting, growing and harvesting of sugar when we did our sugar Mm -hmm. episode. But this history of exploitation has continued to date so we've we've lost that we've lost that connection of the of the earth well i mean and that's the thing is like i mean it didn't just start with the spanish conquest the the exploitation of land and people really goes back to monarchies i mean hundreds and hundreds of years uh of this subjugation right of people that are less than you're not royal um we'll give you a parcel of land you have to work it we're going to tax you so I don't think it began with the Spanish conquest, but it was definitely colonization all over the world, definitely exploited uh, cheap labor. It came to this part of the world with colonization, but it didn't really exist in this part of the world. And farmers, pre-colonial Mexico specifically, they weren't upper classes, but they were treated with respect. This exploitation of workers, of land workers, of farm workers, really came, yeah. you know, in the 16th century. We've got more after the break, so don't go anywhere. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there. I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura Podcast Network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. So what is food justice technically? Like, what is food justice? How can we get justice with food within the food industry? So the the definition of food justice is the right of communities everywhere to produce, process, distribute, access, and eat good food, regardless of race, class, gender, ethnicity, citizenship, you know, religion, community. It basically ensures freedom from exploitation and the rights of workers to fair labor practices. There's an amazing book, Fast Food Nation, by Eric Schoschler. I can never say his name. Uh, that really talks about how the fast food industry has created a caste system because it's so cheap to get 10 tacos for a dollar at Taco Bell. It's cheaper to feed your family with that than to buy a head of broccoli. Yeah. And so that's crazy. And so Fast Food Nation really, you know, explored that um, food desert, right? Like even even you don't even have a grocery store yeah. near you. If you even if you wanted to buy uh, uh, strawberries, you don't even. It's so far out of your neighborhood. You just you know what? It's just so much easier to go buy McDonald's. You know? Yeah, exactly. And this is why there's so much obesity and heart disease and diabetes, and we see that in uh, our communities. Exactly in marginalized communities, mm-hmm. there's more of that because they don't have access to to good food. They don't have access mm-hmm. to fresh food. So this is to get food justice to, for people to be able to have access. Yeah, they should have access to the global to the global food systems, like, you know, especially the people that work in that food system. Um, but, you know, farm workers really work under the most unimaginable conditions. And I feel like a lot of people who villainize immigrants um, don't understand we have an industry dependent upon migrant labor. They are, if you talk to a lot of farmers, their, their farms will go fallow if that migrant labor doesn't, doesn't make its way seasonally to their farms. Like they, they, they lose money. Um, and these are not jobs that Americans want. You know, they've done many, many pilot programs to test out, like, instead of being on welfare or instead of being, uh, unemployed and, claiming an unemployment check, they've offered these job openings to Americans and zero applicants apply. They'd rather take the check than go toil away in the sun in 120 degree heat without water and shade. Um, And also when you, you aren't literate enough to understand back in time, Due to the Bracero program, which on paper may have seemed like an incredible opportunity for mm-hmm. Mexican migrants, it was just another way to exploit the most vulnerable. And so in between 1942 and 1964, there was this executive order that called the Mexican farm labor, it was called the Mexican farm labor program, but it was, it established this Bracero program, which Bracero means arms, right? Like almost like open arms. You're welcome. Exactly. Exactly. You're welcome to come. And it was like this series of diplomatic agreements between Mexico and the United States that permitted millions of Mexicans to uh, work, Mexican men, 
to work legally in the United States on these short-term labor contracts. Mm -hmm. And so um, these agreements really addressed this national agriculture labor shortage during World War II. And so, like I said, these farms were going fallow and uh, and we just got out of the de- the Great Depression, right. um, and we had all these deportations during the Great Depression uh, that unjustly, by the way, targeted Mexican Americans totally. who were men. I think thirty percent were U.S. citizens. Yeah. Um, so wow. then this you know this like push and pull of policies because you know we just deported all these people and now let's bring them back in 1942 we got to bring them back because we don't have any labor and uh, it brought almost four million uh workers mm-hmm. to to the u.s agriculture not only agriculture but the railroads right and so you know all of these like um border towns like el paso they served as these recruitment centers for the for the program mm-hmm. and it's just it was it was not a good thing like the protocols that were supposed to protect uh these workers from from discrimination or poor wages or deducted pay or exposure to deadly chemicals none of that happened none of that and happened so it ended no they weren't protected even i've seen i've seen videos of them coming in to the country at red juarez and the border of el paso and they would sp- uh-huh. they would spray them with pesticides as if they were you know dogs with fleas um, so that yeah. was their welcome into the U.S. Yeah, it was horrible. But the program, it, it lasted 22 years, and it was literally 22 years of cheap labor from Mexico. It had nothing to do with open arms and welcoming welcoming these workers into a system. It was, come, we need cheap labor. Yeah. it's And, and most of the workers went to Texas or came to California, to the Central Valley, California. I was actually there last summer for the first time. I'd never been to the Central Valley and I felt like I was in Laredo. It was because of this Bracero, Bracero program. A lot of people ended up staying um, and having families there. So this pocket of California in the Central Valley feels like a border city. I found that just mm-hmm. so interesting. And I, you know, ignorantly didn't know that much about the Bracero program until last summer that then I was be- just really wanted to learn, you know, so much more. And it's like 22 years of cheap, you know, labor. Um, and this goes, you know, hand in hand with Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez, right? And the United uh, Farm Workers that they started in the 1970s. But Dolores Huerta started lobbying for legislation to repeal the Bracero program. reason I went to get my master's was because of Dolores Huerta. And so I, uh, she told me to read this book. I'd been doing activism with them since before I was famous. And she, you know, would say things and I'd go to her speeches and rallies and I would ask her like, but why, what do you mean? What do you mean? There's no water in the fields. The farmers don't provide water. She said, no, a lot of the rights that we gained in the sixties have been dismantled. And I was like, but how, but why? But I had so many questions and she probably got tired of me asking. And she's like, read this book. And I read the book and what I book wrote is the it? author. Oh, it's called Occupied America by um, Dr. Rodolfo Acuna. Changed my life. Wow. When I say changed my I was like, oh my God. And it's really about Mexican-American history. It's Chicano history in the United States, but talks everything from pre-Columbian civilization to NAFTA, which we can talk about yeah, in we'll a minute, talk about NAFTA. to present day. 
And I wrote the author and I was like, I'd love to have coffee. I just want to talk. And I saw he was here in California, Cal State Northridge. And I was like, oh my God, that's not too far. And the rest is history. I went and got my master's because of this book and because of that man and because of Dolores Huerta. So, wow. Did you study with him? I did. I studied. I studied. I took a class with him. Yeah. Uh, He's the godfather of Chicano studies in the United States. It's the oldest uh, program in the United States at Cal State Northridge. He really invented the discipline within a university. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, what's so interesting is a lot of people in Mexico don't know the story of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta because it's a very American, Mexican-American fight. Totally. Um, And again, because a lot of these people we were talking about were American citizens. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, they were trying to protect um, the rights of of these farm workers. And they did the Great Boycott, which was one of their most famous boycotts. They did potatoes. I remember Dolores in her memoir, or one of her books, she talks about her and Caesar would get into huge fights because they had very different approaches to the activism. But one of them was, we should protest potatoes. And she was like, no, we should protest grapes. And so they were trying to figure out, you know, which strike they were going to do. And they ended up doing grapes and it was very successful. They mm-hmm. did lettuce. They did a lettuce boycott that was very successful. Um, so there, unfortunately their work is never ending. Yeah. That's because the again, thing. the, the rights you gain, you have to fight to protect. And you know, she's 90, how old is Dolores? 92 now. She still marches. She still uh, speaks everywhere all over the world. She travels all over the country and she's still beating the drum for farm worker rights. I heard you interview her at the Academy Museum. Mm-hmm. Was, mm-hmm. She's extraordinary. I mean, she's like electric. You know, she had everybody see si se puede at the end, and it was just really, you know, powerful. Um, so, so this is, you know, they started this in the 1960s, and then, yeah. then of course they're fighting, and then comes NAFTA. Don't go anywhere. Hungry for history. We'll be right back. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there, I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura Podcast Network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's interesting because NAFTA was during Clinton, um, the Clinton administration. And so... The implementation of NAFTA was very problematic mm-hmm. for Mexico, and it was not good for Mexico. I mean, it, it was most of farm most farm workers came from Mexico, yeah. and and after the implementation of NAFTA in 1990, all these local indigenous communities were hit really hard because cheaper goods drove up competition, and it really devastated local economies and these small indigenous-owned farmlands, not even just indigenous, small Mexican-owned farms. Right. Um, so because many, m- many, the migration north was the only option to make a living. You know, prior to NAFTA, uh, most of the migrants were actually coming from central Mexico. Post-NAFTA, they were more, you know, from Oaxaca and from these other sort of more indigenous, you know, regions. Um, and so now the Central Valley here in California, that's what, two hours away from Los Angeles where we are, it's home to around 165,000 mm-hmm. indigenous farm workers from all over Mexico with different cultures, with different languages, different dialects. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that region is, is very mm-hmm. multi-ethnic. And I will say... The thing that's most effective in farm worker rights is grassroots efforts. Uh-huh. Um, and, and these efforts are really a response to, to, to racism, labor injustices, uh, uh, denied wages, uh, sexual harassment, uh, living conditions, uh, working conditions. It's, it, it's, it's all, you know, tied together. And there's a couple of ways, like, I do have hope. You know why? Because, because if we humanize the issue, which is the reason I do documentaries because we could talk about this all we want on this on this podcast and we say statistics and we say percentages and we say facts and data but until you put a face mm-hmm. to the issue you can't really digest it or comprehend you know the severity of of how humanity is is lacking mm-hmm. with with these particular this particular group of farm workers. And I think I, I reason I have hope is because there's, there's the UFW, there's farm worker justice. Um, there's, um, CLAs, which is sustainable economic enterprises of Los Angeles. There's artists, there's, uh, artists, activists, there's, there's so many people. And I think we are in a day and age where people care where things come from. There's a lot of people I know that don't wear fast fashion, right? Because they go, wait, that was made in a sweatshop in India. I don't want to wear it. Uh, there's people who don't want to drink soy milk or almond milk because it's going to kill the bees. So I'm not doing that. Like what you buy says something about who you are. And mm-hmm. I think that we have to apply that to food. <laughs> you know, we yeah. have to understand where your food comes from and to, you know, really uh, uh, help and empower uh, migrant and seasonal farm workers so that we can improve their living conditions is a very small task, um, especially if you eat. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to mention, you mentioned art. Um, and when I was in the Central Valley last summer, I learned about the work of Narciso Martinez. And his work is just extraordinary. He actually is from 
Oaxaca, moved to California and worked as a seasonal um, migrant worker, picking apples to pay for his education. And he's this incredible artist. He gets produce boxes, tapes them together. So you'll see like a brand, you know, Chiquita Banana or whatever, different brands on the produce boxes. And he tapes them together and has different migrant workers depicted on there. I spoke to him once and he said that when he moved to the States, that when he first got an ID with his picture on it, he felt so important because he felt like he was somebody. And so by painting farm workers, and these are real people, these are not just, you know, a, a sort of a, a generic, you know, they don't represent just a person, but they represent real people, um, just to show, you know, that to make them feel important because they are important. I mean, some of them are just a produce box and you have the, the portrait and the background is gold, um, like a Byzantine icon. Um, so his work, and he's an activist as well, like his work, I think, is so powerful. Oh, I, it was life changing that that weekend in the Central Valley last summer was just life changing for me. You know, just even us doing an episode about this on the podcast yeah. is going to be super helpful. I think I hope it makes people ponder the next time they reach for that fruit or vegetable and maybe just pay attention, uh, pay attention or follow these amazing organizations. The Dolores Huerta Foundation is another one. Mm -hmm. UFW, Farm Worker Justice, like, you know, the main challenge they have is funding. Yes. And it takes very little funding to create a huge difference in, in farm workers' lives. So I hope that uh, we'll put up some resources so you guys can check everybody out. And any little bit helps, right? Anything mm -hmm. counts. Yeah. Anything yeah. counts. If you eat, you should care. Absolutely. And we love to eat. We love to eat. <laughs> we love to eat. And we care. Hungry for History is an unbelievable entertainment production in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura podcast network. For more of your favorite shows, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi, everyone. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.